Revelation 19 means probably more to a lot of us today than it even did a couple of days ago. Amen? Revelation 19 is where we're going to be, and I don't have to tell you this, you've probably been very aware of what's been going on around us for the last six months in this world. We have seen a global pestilence outbreak. That's literally what a pandemic is. We've had earthquakes. We've had fires. We've had hurricanes. We've had social unrest. We've had quarantines, lockdowns, curfews, church doors closed, not just in this country, but all over the entire world. Just this past week, we watched with awe and wonder as peace agreements were signed between the nation of Israel and some of our Arab nations, and it's rumored that many more peace agreements will soon be coming. To make all of this even more interesting, just 36 hours ago, one of our sitting Supreme Court justices passed away. In just the last six months, the way of life for 8 billion people has changed drastically. Organizations like the UN and the World Economic Forum are calling this the Great Global Reset. It's estimated that right now, since all this began in February or March, the numbers of people who are gathering together physically to worship the Lord has dropped by 70% globally. Now try to get your brain around that. That 70% fewer people are gathering together today to worship the Lord. Certainly many are using technology to worship Him safely wherever they may be. But there's no question that you and I, and I know we're tired of hearing this word, we have been living in the middle of unprecedented days. And the crazy thing is, some of you keep telling yourself and keep telling me and you keep telling other people that it's all going to get better six weeks from now when there's a presidential election in this country. One day, things are going to get drastically better. But things are not going to get drastically better because President Trump gets reelected. I just burst some bubbles. <laughs> Things are not going to get better because Joe Biden gets elected. Look, right now, everything is pointing to this reality. This old, broken-down world is ripe and ready for what the Bible describes as seven years of tribulation. If you think 2020 has been rough, you hadn't seen anything yet. The worst is yet to come. I know you're thinking, thank you, Pastor, for lifting us up on this bright, sunny <laughs> Sunday morning. Well, I, I, don't, I, I think you come here because you know you're going to hear the truth. And that is the truth. Things are going to get 
a lot worse. But there's more truth. Things also are going to ultimately get a whole lot better. The best days are coming. But hear me, church in America. Hear me, friends at Grace Life. Our best days are not coming in on the shoulders of capitalism. I'm a fan, but that's not the shoulders on which the best days this planet has ever seen. The best days are not coming on the shoulders of socialism. The best days aren't coming on the shoulders of the Republicans. The best days are not coming in on the shoulders of the Democrats. The best days for this world are not coming on the shoulders of vaccines that rid the world of disease and viruses. The best days that this world are, is ever going to know is not coming on the shoulders of some kind of man-made global utopian society. If you're here today hoping in any of those things, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. The best days that this planet will ever know and has known since Genesis chapter 2 are coming on the shoulders of the one who alone is King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And He's coming back soon. And He's coming back in all of His glory. For nearly... Five of the last six or seven months, you and I have been walking through the book of Revelation through all of this. It wasn't reactionary to the craziness of this time that we've been in. It was a decision that I had made before the Lord that I was preaching this next in 16 years. I'd never preached through the book of Revelation. It was a decision that we made before any of this ever hit. And some along the way have suggested maybe I should preach something more encouraging. I don't know what's more encouraging to preach at such a time as this than this book that's here before us. Are there places it's been dark? Oh, absolutely. Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is all about those seven years called the tribulation. Seven years, by the way, that I believe with all of my heart are imminent. A seven-year period of time like the world has not ever known before. And over these chapters in Revelation, we've watched the world come under the rule of a totalitarian world power under the leadership of a person that we call the Antichrist. Over these chapters, we've watched the world enter into a type of one world religion under the leadership of the false prophet who with satanic energy and demonic spirits is performing all kinds of signs and wonders. Yeah, it's been a little dark and gloomy because along the way in chapter 6 through 19, Jesus has been pouring out judgments upon this earth. Why? To turn people to Him. To draw them to repentance. There were the seven seal judgments and then the seven trumpet judgments and then the rapid fire seven bowl judgments. Today, in our text in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is finished launching judgments from heaven to earth. Today, Jesus Himself comes from heaven to the earth. And I want us to look today at what's going to be the greatest event in all of human history, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ is one of the major themes of the Bible. Second, probably only, to redemption by grace through faith in Jesus. For every time the Bible speaks about the first coming of Jesus, it speaks about His second coming eight times as many times. 
Think of that. In the Old Testament alone, there's over 1,500 references to the second coming of Jesus. In the New Testament, one out of every 25 verses is about the second coming of Jesus. 50 times we're told in the New Testament, Christians, us, over 50 times we're told to be ready for this day. Because he's coming back. And he's coming back soon. Unfortunately, it seems that a lot of us are given a lot more credence and a lot more attention to the news. And our social media feeds. Listen, the very same Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, the very same Jesus that fished in the Sea of Galilee, the very same Jesus that died a bloody death on a Roman cross, the very same Jesus that rose from the dead, that very same Jesus is coming back. To come the first time and not come the second time would be like getting engaged and not getting married. To be incarnated in flesh and not become coronated as the king doesn't make any sense. You and I are living in this period of time between his incarnation as a man and his coronation as a king. And I don't have to tell you, we are way closer now to his coronation than we are his incarnation. But too many Christians are living with their head in a five-gallon bucket right now. Only hearing themselves or the narrative that we want to hear over and over again. I'm here today to tell you, wake up. I'm here to tell you today, pay attention and be alert. Or the way my old football coach would say it is, get your head on a swivel. <laughs> I get that. Pay attention. To the days that we're living in. There is a day on his calendar that only God himself knows. The day that he's coming back to this earth. And we are on a collision course with that day. And it just seems to me the closer we get, the faster it's approaching. So let's quickly look at the scripture before us today. And the first thing I want you to see is the king's return. The king's return. Now listen, I do want you to wake up spiritually, but also physically today. Look, I called people out in the first service. It's early, I know that. 8 o'clock is early, y'all. Our pastors meet and have prayer at 6.50 a.m. on Sunday mornings. It's early. I get it. And, I, and there were some that slept in that 8 o'clock service. And I said, hey, look. I'm, I'm not condemning you. I'm delivering good news. I'm going to do this three more times today. So you can take a nap, go get some coffee, come back. All right? Same thing for y'all. Now, you don't have three more chances after this one. you got two more. All right? Now, hopefully that doesn't give you permission to go, well, I'll sleep through this one, then I'll come back later. Let's lock in and let's grab what God has for us today. All right? So first of all, let's look at the king's return. Verse 11 of Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open. H hold up right there. Every time in the book of Revelation we've seen that phrase where John says, Then I saw heaven opened. It was because heaven was open so that John could step into it and see what was going on. But this time he sees heaven open, not so he can go in, but so Jesus can come out. Notice that Jesus is going to come as a conqueror. 
Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. You might remember that the first time Jesus came, he didn't ride a horse, did he? As he entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he was on the back of a borrowed donkey. And on that Sunday, the multitudes are crying out, Hail him! Hail him! But by Friday, they're crying out, Nail him! Nail him! And he laid his life down as a lamb. When he comes back the second time, he's not coming as a lamb, he's coming as the king. He's coming as a conqueror. But not only is he coming to conquer, but he's coming with all of his righteous character on display. Listen to how his character is described. The one sitting on it is called faithful. That's him. He's faithful and true. That is him. He is true. And in righteousness, that is him. He is righteous. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Diadems are the kind of crowns that kings wear. The rider on the white horse back in Revelation chapter 6, he wasn't wearing diadems, he was wearing stephanos. The kind of stephanos are the crowns that competitors would wear. You would compete, you would win that crown out of a competition. Listen, the throne for king of kings and all lords has never been up for competition. It's always been his. It always will be his. These aren't the competitor's crowns that he's wearing. These are the crowns of a king, the sovereign king. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. You say, Pastor Joe, what is that name? Are you not paying attention? It just said nobody knows <laughs> but himself. But I do know this. He's coming back soon. He's coming back. And he's coming back as a mighty conqueror in all of his character. But we cannot forget this morning that when he's coming back, he's coming back by way of the cross. Verse 13 says, He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. You know how creation got here? The Word. The Word of God spoke. Spoke everything into existence. And then that same very word wrapped himself in flesh. Stepped onto this planet. Gave his life as a ransom for many. And in Revelation chapter 5, we watched him break the seals and open the scroll or the title deed to all of creation. And when he's coming back this second time, he's coming back to claim what is rightfully his. And His alone. He alone is worthy to take possession. He alone was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. He's coming back. Revelation 19. Now that's a quick look at the king's return. Now I want you to see the king's army. The king's army in verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, watch this, were following Him on white horses. On this day, heaven is going to empty out. And the armies of heaven are coming with their king to this planet. You, you say, what, what, what about these armies? What does that mean? Well, I think there's four divisions in this heavenly army. First of all, first of all I think there's the holy angels, right? We, we've seen them. He's the Lord of hosts. I, I believe the holy angels, hundreds of millions of them, will be leaving heaven on that day to come to earth. There's a second division in the heavenly armies, and I believe that's what we would call the Old Testament saints. Men and women who lived before Jesus gave his life on the cross. 
Men and women who looked forward to the promise of the Messiah. Who were justified as sinners before a holy God by grace alone, through faith alone. Heaven is going to empty out on that day and those redeemed Old Testament saints are going to come back. But there's a third division in this heavenly army, I believe, and that's the army, the unit that I'm in. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, that's the unit that you find yourself in. We're in the New Testament saints division. We're the people that lived on this side of the cross. And unlike the Old Testament saints who look forward to the cross, we look back to the cross to see what Christ has done, that the Messiah has come. But we're saved. We're justified before a holy God the same way Old Testament saints are. Listen, don't be confused about that. There's not a different salvation for them and for us. It's the same salvation. It's always and will always only be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For them, it was something that hadn't happened yet. For, some, for us, it is in something that has already happened. But I believe that on that day, you and I are going to step out of heaven. And we're going to come back to this planet with our King, the Lord Jesus. And listen, we're not coming to fight. I know some of you are disappointed because you want to fight. Probably why you chose to be a Baptist. You're good at it. <laughs> but we're not going to fight. Some of you are like, I'm glad I'm not going to fight. You don't have to fight. Because you'll be with the king. We're not coming back to fight. We're coming back to reign with him. That's why we're coming back. See, he's coming back to take his inheritance, Right? The Bible says that in Christ, you and I are co-heirs with Him. His kingdom is also ours. This new heaven and new earth He's going to create is also ours. We're coming back to rule and reign alongside of Him forever. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve that. It's by sheer grace. And then there's a fourth division in this army the division of the tribulation saints these are the people that we were introduced to in revelation chapter 7 men and women who in the seven years of tribulation they refused the rule of the antichrist they refused to worship him they refused the religion of the false prophet they refused the mark of the beast they turned in repentance and faith to trust christ we saw them in revelation 7 every tongue and tribe and nation gathered together around the throne of god you see this this is the army of heaven all the saints of the old, all the saints of the new, all the saints of the tribulation, and all the holy angels, all together as one. We've seen the king's return, the king's army. Now, number three, I want you to see the king's wrath, his wrath. I know to talk about the wrath of God isn't popular in our soft little society that we find ourselves living in today. But he is a God of wrath. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that judgment is coming. Some people want to believe that God is just too good to punish sin. No, no, no. I tell you, He is just too good not to punish sin. Verse 15 says, From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He has told us all along, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
So many things in our world are not right. They are way not right. Amen? And they are never going to be right. Between now and this day that we're reading about right now, they'll never be right until the righteous one himself comes back and crushes all that is not right beneath his feet. So we've seen the king's return, the king's army, the king's wrath. Now I want you to see the king's victory. The king's victory. Now you need to know as we're approaching what's called the battle of Armageddon here right now. And when you go to Israel with me, you'll see the valley where that's going to take place, some of it anyway. But you need to know this. We, we probably really shouldn't call it a battle because it's really not going to be a battle. It's going to be an execution. The day of the Lord is going to be brief, it is going to be quick, and it is going to be catastrophic. Millions will be executed across a swatch of land that's 200 miles long. Later today, please don't do it right now, you can go to Ezekiel 39. You might want to write that down. Ezekiel 39 is one of those 1,500 plus passages out of the Old Testament that's all about the the day that we're talking about right now, the second coming of Jesus. Ezekiel 39 tells us that the death toll is going to be so great that even after all the birds of the air have gorged themselves on the remains, it's still going to take seven months to bury all the carnage. Revelation chapter 19 verse 17 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men. And by the way, i got to just remind you, they've had seven years. And every reason to repent. Over and over and over and over and over and over, God has offered grace and salvation. flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The Old Testament prophet Zephaniah describes this day like this. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, the mighty man cries aloud there, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung 
neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of His jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. The great commentator John Phillips, he describes that day like this. Then suddenly it will be over. In fact, there will be no war at all. In the sense that we think of war, there will be just a word spoken from him who sits astride the great white horse. Once he spoke a word to a fig tree and it withered away. Once he spoke a word to howling winds and heaving waves and the storm clouds vanished and the waves fell still. Once he spoke to a legion of demons bursting at the seams of a poor man's soul and instantly they fled. Now he speaks a word, and the war is over. The blasphemous, loud-mouthed beast is stricken where he stands. The false prophet, the miracle-working windbag from the pit, is punctured in steel. The pair of them are bundled up and hurled headlong into the everlasting flames. Another word, and the panic-stricken armies reel and stagger and fall down dead. Field marshals and generals. Admirals and air commanders, soldiers and sailors, rank and file, one and all they fall. And the vultures descend and cover the scene. I just got to tell you today, this world is not going to fix itself. This world is incapable of fixing itself. Science is not the answer. Politics is not the answer. Social reform is not the answer. Social reform is good in many ways. But at the end of all that, we just make a little improvement in this world from which people get to die from and go to hell. That's not the ultimate hope. Vance Havner, the great preacher from a generation or two ago, he used to say that civilization is like a chimpanzee with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. That pretty well describes where our civilization is. On September the 20th, 2020. That's the situation we find ourselves in today. And I say all that to say this. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, you need to do that now. Now. Today. Even right now, right where you're sitting. If you're saved, you say, what does this have to do with me? Paul addresses that to a group of believers like me and you, our New Testament saint brothers and sisters, a little church at a place called Rome. In Romans chapter 13, what he says to them is for us too. And he says this, Romans 13 verse 11. This is all the more urgent. 
for you know how late it is. If 2,000 years ago, Paul's saying, you know how late it is, you know how urgent it is, how much more true is it now, 2,000 years later? Time, Paul says, is running out. Wake up! For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. If it was nearer then, how much more near is it now? Verse 12, he says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So what? So what, Paul? I'm saved. So what? What does that mean for me? Paul says, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. And put on the shining armor of right living. Not so that you'll be ready when he comes, but to display you are ready for his coming. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your flesh. He's coming. He's coming soon. And the clarion call today is be saved. And if you are saved, live it out. Live it out in the world. Yes, for a little while longer, but not of it. Not conform to it. The way we talk ought to be different. The way we think ought to be different. Our social media ought to look different. Everything about our lives ought to look different. We are the light for such a time as this church. And Lord Jesus, we bow before you. This is your church and we are your people. And we're asking you to do a work in us so that you see yourself in us. So that the world sees you in us. We come into this place today putting our hope in things of this world. Thinking that somehow we can usher in better days. And certainly we want to, as your people and as your servants in this world, we want to work toward things that encourage and build up and edify and create. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is that any moment heaven is going to be opened up and Jesus is going to come. Holy Spirit, would you give us grace to set our minds today on things above, not below. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, wherever you may be today, in this room, in a parking lot, or in a living room, or at work, on vacation, I know you're tired, I know you're weary, and I would invite you today to lay it all down. To lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. In this room that I'm standing in, we have this thing called an altar. It's really nothing really special about it. But for a lot of us, it's been a special sort of place to meet with the Lord through the years. And I guess we sort of thought it's off limits for the last seven months. But I tell you today, it's not off limits. There's no, there's no barricade up here. can make the chair you're sitting in an altar in this room or in your living room or 
wherever you may be, your office chair, if you're watching outside in a parking lot, I don't know what that may look like for you. With our hearts, can we just come to an altar today and lay ourselves before the living God? Can we just invite the Holy Spirit to wake us up and to see the day that we're in differently, to see it right, to see it truthfully through the lenses of God's perfect word. That our hearts would burn within us to serve Him like never before and to not waste another moment of our God-given lives. If there's ever been a time for the church to rise up as one, is it not now? Holy Spirit, transform your people today. Transform this preacher today. May we be a radiant display of the glory of our King Jesus. I want to invite you to stand as we worship the Lord, as we respond to His Word. And you can pray where you are. You can pray at this altar, wherever you may be today. How dare we read a passage like Revelation 19 and just check the box and move on. We need to linger, don't we? Don't we just need to linger right here for a minute and say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me here? This is what all of Scripture has been pointing to, and now it's pointing to me. And what does that look like for me in this moment? What does this look like as I prepare to leave this moment? I don't want this to fall on my ears and not go any further, but I want you, God, to press it deep into my heart and into my life and that it would flow out of every fiber of my being and my life.